I have been nothing but candid with you all that I don't answer <laughs> emails true. or listen it's to voicemails. <laughs> he responds to me because if he doesn't, I fuck up his stories. <laughs> I love it. There's your sound bite for the intro. There it is. There it is. This is episode 188 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny. We've got a little bit of the news to run through. We've had Adam Johnson. He's the director of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. He's also talked about this very same exact event back on episodes 8, 14, and 48 because it's referred to as the Bourbon Fantasy Camp. That's right. The Kentucky Bourbon Affair is returning June 4th through the 8th of 2019. It's going to have five days of events, including exclusive experiences at the world's most iconic distilleries. You're going to have nightcap events featuring top chefs, and you're going to be in the company of bourbon barons and master distillers. You also get the opportunity to have rare tastings and the chance to buy souvenir bottles. The website to purchase tickets and get more information is at kybourbonaffair.com. Now make sure you mark your calendars for Friday, March 1st to be at Down One Bourbon Bar in Louisville, Kentucky. Bourbon Pursuit is going to be there doing our first live stream of the podcast, and we want you to be there in person to watch it. We're going to be joined by none other than Chris Morris and Elizabeth McCall of Brown Foreman. So please come and let us ask the questions that you want to hear. And while we've got your calendar out, pencil in your attendance for being at the Louisville Bourbon Society meeting on March 18th. Ryan and myself will be there presenting on the history of the podcast, insights into our process, and you get to sip on some Pursuit series as well. And your first time attending is free. Plus, you get to bring a guest. Get more information at www.thebourbonsociety.org. We will partner with the Kentucky Derby Museum to bring you the Legend Series. Coming up in February 21st, 2019, is going to be Craft Bourbon Night, featuring Wilderness Trail, Jep the Creed, and Peerless. On March 21st, 2019, you've got Dixon Deadman of Kentucky Owl. We want to welcome a new partner to the show, Rackhouse Whiskey Club. They're a Whiskey of the Month club focused on craft distilleries. Use coupon code PURSUIT to get $25 off your first box. The Hometown Rising Country Music and Bourbon Festival is a new festival from Danny Wimmer Presents that takes place here in Louisville, Kentucky, and it's a part of the Bourbon and Beyond family. Now, they have announced their lineup and the new home of all the Danny Wimmer Presents festivals for years to come in Louisville. And this year, you're going to see headliners like Tim McGraw, Little Big Town, Luke Bryan, Keith Urban, Brett Michaels, and many more. It's going to be held on September 14th and 15th at the Kentucky Expo Center. We all love the Bourbon Community Roundtable, and this one really focuses on some new laws that could change the impact of bourbon sales across the country. So if you're a retailer, producer, or just plain curious how messed up the laws are in our country, you're going to get a kick out of this. And did you know that you can also listen to Bourbon Pursuit on your Google Home or Amazon Alexa? Just say, hey, Google, play Bourbon Pursuit on Spotify. Now with that, enjoy this week's episode. Here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. Tim McGraw, Little Big Town, Dwight Yoakam, Luke Bryan, Keith Urban, Brett Young, Jake Owen, Brett Michaels. These are all the headliners of Hometown Rising, a festival September 14th and 15th that I am actually curating 
for the bourbon side. That's right. We'll have a bourbon and culinary stage, just like we did at Bourbon and Beyond. And it'll be at a new location this year. It's at the Expo Center, the fairgrounds as we know it here locally. And I'm so excited, not just for the incredible opportunity that's been given to me, but for bourbon. These festivals are so important for the growth of bourbon. You see, music touches everybody. And as bourbon is trying to grow, it needs to capture the fringe consumer. And it's my goal to find someone who's been drinking vodka or, you know, some inferior spirit or beer all these years and show them the joy and the culture of bourbon. I believe that these festivals can make a big, big difference in the growth of American whiskey. Sure, we've got TV shows, we've got, you know, radio uh, appearances now and NPR regularly for bourbon. But what we need more than anything is for people to come to Kentucky, get a glass of bourbon in their hands and taste it. And just imagine tasting it while you're listening to your favorite musician. Maybe it's Tim McGraw or Little Big Town. And you just get that nice feeling, that wonderful taste, that wonderful sip. Maybe you got an appetizer with you and you're just hearing those favorite tunes. Now, I know a lot of times I get on this segment and I have a a grind your gears moment. And I'll tell you, my grind my gears moment here is that I just want more. I want more and more for bourbon. So do me this favor. If you have someone in your family or in your friend network who is not a bourbon drinker, let's figure out how we can convert them. How can we get them to enjoy the sweet, luscious nectar of bourbon? Maybe you bring them to Kentucky to a distillery. Perhaps they meet Freddie at Buffalo Trace. Or heck, they could even start listening to this podcast or subscribe to my magazine or read someone's blog like Chuck Cowdery's. But the fact is, if we don't bring in new consumers, we will start to see bourbon decline again. And I'm talking 1960s, when bourbon was at its all-time high, vodka enters the space, and it starts taking away bourbon market share. So every time you hear me about bringing in new consumers, that's what I am thinking about. I suppose I could be short-sighted and say, well, that means more bottles for the rest of us if there are not more consumers coming into the game. But the fact is, I have too many friends whose livelihood depends upon the growth and success of bourbon. So that's why I will always fight for new consumers. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at Fred Minnick. That's at Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long.
And they're off for another Gift 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, and this is the 29th recording of the Bourbon Community Roundtable. We've got Kenny, and we've got Ryan, and we've got Fred here. we got the whole trio of Bourbon Pursuit ready to kick this off, and we've got a lot of great topics tonight. But, you know, before we do this, you know, uh, Ryan and Fred, I kind of want to, you know, gauge your kind of like what's been happening because this is all recent news, at least around here. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that's happening. There's a lot of things that's going to happen uh, by the time this gets released. Fred's got uh, some stuff he's doing with a, another concert. Um, hopefully that that means good things because it's raining now, which means we're going to get the rain out now. So it's not going to be here for Bourbon yeah. Beyond. But rain has been one thing that's really been... Uh, hit the bluegrass hard as of lately mm-hmm. for god's sakes kentucky stop raining <laughs> oh, no, god. i got i got an ark in construction in my backyard <laughs> like starting to gather two birds and like two uh squirrels and it's it's crazy how much I rain yeah. I'm looking a little bit longer that kind of explains it. trying yeah. to yeah. get my scribes out you know. <laughs> so the the concert you mentioned is uh hometown rising it's a country music festival it's uh, put on uh, with by the same people who put on Bourbon and Beyond, Danny Warren Presents. And I'm curating um, some bourbon stuff for that. So if you love country music, it will be, you know, we're announcing everything tomorrow, all the headliners and everything. I'm just telling you, it's quite possibly going to be the most sought after show in, uh, um, in the country. It's just, it's, it's an incredible lineup. Wow. I mean, awesome. like we're in central Kentucky, right? Country music yeah. and bourbon. I mean, yeah. Yeah, there's going to be it's, it's, it's a great it's a great symbiotic relationship, and uh, you know what's funny about country music is country music has actually been oddly Canadian whiskey territory, starting back in the 1960s. Uh, the Canadian whiskey distillers would actually target country music festivals, and they would target like rodeos and everything. So this is truly in a historic, um, you know, you know, festival. That makes sense because all my redneck cousins who love country music drink crown and like coke all the time yeah. like they just yeah. i'm like what are you doing you're from kentucky you love country and you're drinking crown and coke what's wrong with you? well i was actually kind of surprised like i thought it'd be more of like a jack daniels thing yeah uh, well, i'm sure jack daniels will have a presence there too but you know we're in bourbon country man come on well i'm just saying you know like jack daniels and rock and roll maybe country music whatever it is it usually goes hand in hand well listen jack is everywhere that is the most uh iconic brand that we have in America, uh, aside from maybe Coca-Cola, you know, it is just, it's everywhere. It penetrates every market and 
you know, it is uh, when people drink Jack, they usually do it for a good time. So mm -hmm. they're here for the party. Absolutely. So with that, let's go ahead and just hit the round table up real quick and let everybody introduce themselves. Blake wanted to jump in there, so I'm going to let him go first. Well, real quick, is this different from the forecastle lineup you tweeted oh, yeah. out earlier today? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's a different, yeah. it's a different yeah, festival. We got a festival every day. Yeah, festivals like every other. So yeah. <laughs> Kentucky's okay. a new Florida, man. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Am I up for my intro? Absolutely. I am Blake from Bourboner. Uh, it's B-O-U-R-B-O-N-R.com and also sealbox.com, S-E-E-L-B-A-C-H-S. I only have sites that you have to pronounce and spell out and make it really hard to find. Um, so you really have to think about it. But yeah, you probably know me as the Brett Favre of the Bourbon Round or the Bourbon Roundtable. Uh, still, still hit every single Bourbon Roundtable. So that's that's my claim to fame. It's impressive, man. It really is. Yeah. You know, yeah. Rain, rain, sleet, or snow. Especially during yep. flu season. Flu season. You've got 19 <laughs> kids, six businesses. I mean, it's what a didn't know is I'm actually, I actually have a twin brother, and so I have him fill in sometimes. You know, a lot. <laughs> when you were in the NFL, did you guys trade snaps so you wouldn't get injured? You, you know, it, it depended on which play we run it wanted to run. Yeah. Sometimes he'd come and fill in for me. The, the NFL is a tough business, though. I yeah, yeah. It's, you you only got in on the blocking plays, right? He got on the passing. No, no, he I was, was all, he was all passing. Yeah, send me on a go route. That's the only time I'm out there. <laughs> <laughs> and so I want to take this opportunity also introduce a new face to the roundtable tonight. So we have Carla Carlton here. So Carla, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, I'm Carla Carlton. I am also known as the Bourbon Babe. Um, that's pretty self-explanatory. I don't have to spell it to you, I don't think. Um, bourbonbabe.com. Um, yes, you just, just you can spell it. Um, I'm also a managing editor of Bourbon Plus magazine, along with Fred, your illustrious uh, co-host there. Um, and uh, just uh, came out with my first book, um, Barrel Strength Bourbon. And I would like to give a shout out to the uh, Bellarmine University School of Communication for loaning me this wonderful microphone that looks like I'm broadcasting from the 1940s World <laughs> Series. Um, it's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, Bellarmine's my day job. So um, yeah, stay busy. But um, as always, bourbon is is uh, is the best place to be. So thank you. Awesome. awesome. We're gonna, thank you again for joining us tonight. And we're hoping to hear some, some good... Uh, anecdotes and another new angles to hear about but you know as we're talking about authors we got another author that we want to talk about next so brian sipping corn go ahead and go not next. fred brian all right well it's great to be on again uh missed the last couple um i'm brian with sipping corn you can find me at sippingcorn.com also bourbonjustice.com uh, so uh, that's the book that was released in November, uh, mostly on Twitter, a little bit on Facebook, and my daughter is still trying to get me to be on Instagram more. So check out Sipping Corn on all of those. Instagram's a pain, man. You don't want to be on there. You can't, um, put, the, you can't put the link in the in your, your description. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to have somebody like me to be on you to make sure that you're doing it right, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody that missed the pre-show, I'm, I'm telling you, man, this is, I don't know why I came over. Uh, I was stressful, like, 20 minutes trying to get on. There's, like, moving lights. So like, no, you got too many shadows. Like, this light, and I'm like... Uh, just, no, I just start I, filming. Take a picture. <laughs> I gave my wife a hard time before we started. I was like, "You got to get the pre-show Instagram going. We got to get this going. We're like, we're starting live at five. We got to go, go, go." It's definitely team turmoil. <laughs> you know, all these distillers are rolling. They're mm -hmm. laughing at us from the great beyond. They're like, "Oh, you poor people! You're, you can't do your Instagram." You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. we got the pioneers. Just <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
It takes time. It takes time. It All right. So Jordan, round us out. Yeah. So this is Jordan. I'm one of three guys from Breaking Bourbon at Breaking Bourbon on all the social media handles and Patreon. Um, you know, the website, find our daily release calendar and, and up-to-date reviews and news. And to answer Kyle Anderson's question, so I was just doing a Basil Hayden Tens review, so I ended up turning it into an old-fashioned. And, um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. Good for cocktails. Uh, it sucks, it's something it? like, yeah, yeah. I yep, mean, it, it is the most freaking um, <sighs> underperforming bourbon I can recall. Well, I, thought, I actually I, stood in line for that damn thing. Ooh, and, no. Yeah. No. This is before everyone started saying it sucked. And, By the um, way, uh, let this also be a pivotal moment that recognizes that, yes, also Fred Minnick waits in lines for bourbon. <laughs> yes, it's true. I don't know why that's a surprise. This is true. The highest of highs. <laughs> I mean, it, there's because be honest, like when we talk about it, like people think that things come easy to us. Like it could be anybody that's sitting here. Uh, and they think that, oh, yeah, the media, they get everything. They see this stuff on my back wall. They, they think that, oh, that just comes it just comes in the mail. Like, no, it, it just like everybody else, like it takes work and effort and hunting and everything like that. To yeah, you build connections. And I mean, I spend okay. I spend well over ten thousand dollars a year on bourbon. So, yeah. If anything, I think it makes it worse being in the media. The advantage we have is tax deductible. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least we have that going for us. So this is true. Today, and I'm like, okay, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's a real great way of running a company. Hey, let's buy this. It's tax, tax deductible. Just write it off. I think that was I think that was Blake's advertisement for hey, I'll also be your tax guy. For you, I got you covered. It's, it's not considered right. a hobby until you show a loss for three years, so you're good. <laughs> See, he knows all the laws already. But speaking of laws, that's kind of what the first topic is about. And this one is coming out of the state of Tennessee. And this is something that is very pivotal. It's huge in regards to what this could be in regards of the whiskey and wine industry, breaking down commerce barriers as well as breaking down shipping barriers. So I want to I want to take a few minutes here and kind of give you just a little bit of background to sort of set the stage on sort of what's happening. So if, if anybody that's looked around and you Google Total Wine Supreme Court, there's a lot of articles out there. There's been some on NPR, there's been some on CNBC, ABC, Washington Post, whatever. But there was one that went really in depth and this was on winespectator.com. And I took this and I wanna take a, a few good tidbits out of this because they, they went really, really, really deep in a lot of the things I think that really matter to most of us here. So I'm gonna give you just a little bit of background. So in 2016, Doug and Mary Ketchum decided to leave Salt Lake City for Tennessee and buy a wine store. Their daughter, Stacy, has cerebral palsy. And after she contracted pneumonia, uh, had a lung collapse, her doctor urged her and her family to move to a different climate. After weighing different options, the Ketchums found a store, Kimbrough Fine Wine and Spirits, down in Memphis, Tennessee. Their daughter would be in a healthier environment, and being owners of the store would allow them the flexibility to care for her. But... When the Ketchums applied for a liquor license, the Tennessee Wine and Spirits Retailers Association pointed out that the Tennessee Alcoholic Beverage Commission, that Ketchums did not satisfy a state law, and that requires applicants to live in the state for at least two years before obtaining, before obtaining a license. The Tennessee Alcoholic Beverage Commission was also considering application from the retail chain 
Total Wine and More to open a Tennessee store down in Knoxville. The Tennessee Wine and Spirits Retailers Association threatened to sue the state if they approved any licenses. The Tennessee Alcoholic Beverage Commission, the executive director at the time, Clayton Bird, he was actually unsure if the residency law was actually constitutional. So he referred it to the courts. Both a federal district judge and the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals concluded that the law was, after all, unconstitutional. So the Tennessee Wine and Spirits Retailers Association petitioned, and now it's made its way all the way up to the Supreme Court. So the real question here is, is this law protected by the 21st Amendment, which that's the one, if you're not familiar, that ended prohibition across the country and gave states complete control over alcohol laws? Or does this violate the Constitution's Commerce Clause, and that which actually prevents states from erecting business barriers with other states? Now, the Tennessee Wine and Spirits Retailers Association, they argue that the 21st Amendment not only just rejected prohibition, but it, but not really the temperance goals that motivated it. So that they said that they should know who they're selling to, who they're marketing to, and they're making themselves aware of their community. So they're not selling to the town drunk. They're not selling to minors. And it shouldn't be regulated like we're selling T-shirts. However, in 2005, the Supreme Court's Granholm versus Heald decision struck down bans on out-of-state winery shipping in New York and Michigan, claiming that that violated the Commerce Clause. And that's that now allows – that states – and as the states, that allowed in-state wineries to actually ship directly to consumers themselves. And this is why the circuit court decided that Tennessee laws were unconstitutional to actually have a residency clause. In addition, rebuttal arguments mentioned previously about this community aspect from the other side. They said the notion that someone living in Memphis is more in touch with somebody that's in Knoxville than someone actually living in Asheville, North Carolina, which is actually 250 miles closer, is silly. And that's actually coming from a total wine brief. And lawyer Rob Epstein, who represented a plaintiff in the Granholm case, co-wrote a brief called 81 Wine Consumers, saying the National Association of Wine Tailors, which supports the retailer direct shipping, uh, they argue that Tennessee laws not only hinder retailers' ability to access markets, they also negatively affect consumer choice, saying that availability is not a question of quantity, it is a matter of variety and selection. And not only that, is the internet has fulfilled the founder's vision of a national economic union. And a ruling is actually expected to happen in the spring or summer of this time. So I know I took a few minutes there to kind of set the background. I'm so confused. First off, is there any questions? If there's any questions, yeah. let's go ahead and take it to our legal counsel, Brian, first. Yeah, so basically take over, Brian. Here we go. <laughs> Here's right. the cliff notes. Yeah, so, so the cliff notes on that are that the 21st Amendment allows the states to, to regulate in their own state however they want to decide to regulate alcohol. So states could stay, could, could keep prohibition after national prohibition ended. And I think Mississippi was the last state to abolish statewide prohibition. But states get the opportunity to do that. This is why you have some control states. This is why you have the three-tier system. This is why you have ABCs in all of the states who get to regulate liquor however they want to regulate it. And in Kentucky, this, this issue came up. Uh, it's a post that I wrote in 2014 about the uh, Maxwell Pickpack case. 
which is the case that tried to challenge our seemingly silly situation that we have here, where Kroger has to have a liquor store separate, but right next door to it with a different door, but you can sell liquor in Walgreens and CVS and Target. And it's all based on a formula of how much, uh, how much groceries you sell. Um, and what the court here decided, the Sixth Circuit decided here, was the 21st Amendment allowed Kentucky to have those sorts of regulations. And they had experts that talked about you didn't want liquor in grocery stores because kids and families are there. And those are the kinds of considerations that Tennessee is trying to bring up here for the residency re requirement. But the, the case that I think is more important here, which Kenny mentioned, is the 2005 case, the Granholm case. And the KDA has been trying to get the whiskey equivalent of, of Granholm ever since 2005. And Granholm took the, the Tennessee argument and essentially threw it away. It said, sure, the 21st Amendment lets you regulate spirits, liquor in your own state, but it doesn't allow you to unfairly uh, treat out-of-state uh, businesses. And that's, that's what was happening there. They only allowed in-state shipping and they didn't allow out-of-state. So you got the, the point is you got to treat everybody the same. You can't charge an out-of-stater, although you know, we'd probably like to do that here, you know, charge someone from Indiana more if they come here than you do a Kentuckian, but you can't do that. You got to treat consumers the same. You got to treat businesses the same. And that's what the, the Commerce Clause provides. So my prediction here is that the Tennessee law is going to get overturned based on, on the Commerce Clause because you got to treat everybody equally. And they're just plain and simple not doing that. And, and I think the other thing that I kind of want to talk about this, and this is why I asked, you know, and this is also, I, I think Blake put it in chat that Brian's going to be putting his Venmo uh, account uh, for anybody yeah. to put, sorry, <laughs> adding dollars here because we're asking for a lot of legal stuff for free. Um, was that shipping? You know, this is one thing that has been, you know, it's spearheaded in Kentucky. It made, a, it made a lot of things with House Bill 400. However, there's some states that have allowed uh, interstate shipping for a while. Now there's some states that allow reciprocal shipping. However, the shipping clauses of commerce, I believe, are wrapped up inside of here. So, Brian, do you see anything that could potentially change like nationwide shipping if this goes across the board? So is this, this case really like a legal question for pursuit spirits? Is that where we're getting at? No, it's a legal question. There might be some interesting part about it. I mean, I'm just, yeah. I'm just joking. Well, I mean, but seriously, I mean, think about it. Like, this is a huge, like, economic thing. Like, this is breaking down the barrier. Like, to say that liquor wine, or sorry, liquor barn can now compete with Benny's. Uh, to say that keg and bottle can now compete with uh, somebody down in Florida. Like, this is, like, you're breaking down economic barriers here. And if you can find a bottle at a cheaper price at an online retailer, why wouldn't you do, do it? it? Yeah, right. that's exactly right. I don't think this is going to be the case to do it, but I think we're going to take baby steps till we get there, till, till we finally are at that point. Uh, one thing the Supreme Court is famous for doing is taking the most narrow approach to a, to a decision that they can take. And they don't want to address things that aren't necessarily in the case. So here, I, my prediction is the Supreme Court will address this one narrow issue of can Tennessee enforce a two-year residency requirement? I think they're going to say no, uh, but the court's not going to go any further than that until it gets a case that addresses nationwide shipping. But but between Granholm and this, 
uh, I think we're seeing a, a gradual erosion, and within the next few years, I think we'll be able to get nationwide shipping. Now, states don't have to do that, but they ha- they won't be able to allow in-state shipping either. Uh, they'll have to be all or none, and I think that'll encourage everyone to go all in. Uh, also, uh, Jordan, you want to remind everybody where you live? I do. I live in Pennsylvania. So you want to explain the rules of what happens in Pennsylvania and maybe uh, what this could mean to you? Explain how yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I saw somebody say NC hold my beer. I lived in North Carolina too, so I know how that state works. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a double whammy there. So Pennsylvania is a state-run, right? It's a state-run liquor system. It's really interesting what PA's done. So Pennsylvania, you know, I've been here now for a number of years, but from my understanding is it used to be a lot worse than it is now, which is saying something, right? So it's all state run. Um, it used to be actually a decent state run system. Selections limited for what it is, right? But because they were one of the larger quote unquote distributors in the nation, they always actually have pretty good prices for consumers. What's been really interesting, though, is over the last two years, especially when it comes to bourbon and other whiskeys, is now you see the state starting to charge more than MSRP, right, which is pretty tough because they do have monopoly here. And then you'll see them do state-run lotteries for their limited editions, and there they're charging like multitudes, almost as if somebody running the state-run system goes online, sees secondary pricing, and says, yeah, we'll just manage that. (laughs) <laughs> right, and then basically saying, well, at least you're supporting your state government by paying $600 for our bookers. <laughs> exactly. Right. So it's, um, it's like an extra double whammy. Yeah. It's an extra double whammy here recently because not only is it, you know, a tight controlled system with limited selection, but now they're just going to charge consumer secondary rates to purchase bourbon. So it's, um, it's a little rough in PA right now. But I mean, when you think about it, wouldn't this actually benefit you if to say like, don't oh, I mean, you can talk about North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, whomever. Right. All for it. Yeah. All for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what will happen, though, is, you know, Amazon's everyone's concerned they're going to get into uh, pharmacies and take over the pharmacy world. And they'll probably try to do that with uh, with alcohol shipping as well. Yep, which it was interesting. I, for, I forget which justice it was, but one of them said um, to the total wine representative, so basically you want to be the Amazon of the liquor world. And his response was, well, no, I think that's Amazon's ambition or Amazon's game plan. We have a different business structure, um, but we would still like these laws repealed. So I don't think it's any uh, any secret to anyone that that'll probably be the route they take if some of this changes. So Fred and Carla, I want to kind of pass this over to you a little bit too. Um, you know, we've talked about Amazon. Uh, there's a lot of people talking about it on the chat right now about what would actually happen if if Amazon became this Uber retailer that you could then order spirits online from. Carla, I want to kind of get your opinion. Is, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I mean, it's it's a complicated issue, but I think, you know, when you go back to the argument that Tennessee has that, um, you know, you, you if you don't have the two-year uh, residency requirement, people will be selling to minors or something. I mean, you're supposed to card people. I mean, I think that's a ridiculous argument. You know, there there are already laws in place to prevent that sort of thing. And I think that, um, you know, it should be an open market. And I think that a lot of, you know, what's happened here has, um, the, the laws have hamstrung some of our own distillers. You know, when people come here and they, I had a friend who visited from LA for the first time and wanted to know if he could ship bottles back. 
And, you know, they said, well, no, you, you can't. Not now. We're working on that. You know, and people just don't understand that. They don't understand why they can't buy things here and ship them back, much less, mm. you know, go online and, and buy them. But I don't think everybody who loves bourbon is suddenly going to rush to Amazon to buy it. Um, it's going to be an option. But, you know, I don't buy my liquor at Kroger either, you know. Um, so I don't think it's the downfall. I think, you know, the, the liquor stores have always battled the distilleries. Um, and I think this is one of your topics here, too. Like, um it's it's different markets, I think. I mean, I, I think that um, liquor stores have have wanted distilleries not to be able to sell so much because they they're afraid that that's taking customers um, away from them. But I think it's a different it's a different customer who's going into a distillery and buying stuff than is going to a liquor store. So I, I guess I think I don't see it as like some big threat to you know to to the bourbon industry. Yeah. Well, I mean, Fred actually just put in the comments that Alexa is going to take over this podcast. So I'm, I'm curious to what he thinks now. <laughs> Which so we're not talking about selling screw caps or books or lamps or whatever the hell else uh, Amazon sells, which is everything. We're talking about selling what is, you know, should be considered a controlled substance. And the minute that we lose sight of the fact that we must have an absolute, as close as we can, as an absolute guarantee that the product is being uh, consumed by the right age bracket and so forth, um, the minute we lose sight of that is when we will see another wave of prohibition. You're already starting to see the health groups come on really strong right now, uh, linking uh, all forms of alcohol to cancers, uh, uh, social media to underage drinking. And they're doing everything they can to ban alcohol advertising. Uh, They're doing everything they can to restrict the, the sale of alcohol. And this is not from the religious types. This is from the health groups. And so... I think that this is going to be a very difficult business structure for Amazon or for anyone to to really do this fully and to do it properly because of all the opposition. Now the laws may do whatever, you know, they the, the Supreme Court may rule however they want, but as we know, this is a time that law and fact doesn't necessarily always hold the weight. Sometimes these this mob mentality uh, kind of takes over, and all it takes all it takes is for one underage person to get into someone's Amazon package that's filled with whatever. Maybe it's Smirnoff, or maybe it's uh, um, maybe it's a bourbon. Who knows? But you know, all it takes is for one of those kids to do that, and for that kid to to pass away from too much alcohol, and it's over. And um, the, this this industry has been uh, regulated so much. It's it's had it's had uh, 13 years of its livelihood taken away, and it wasn't until 19 uh, the early 1980s that you had people with with uh, you had government agents still on site restricting what the distillers could do. So, I uh, while I am all for the consumers and I want open markets and everything, I want everyone to keep in mind that um, what we have right now is a lot better than what we had during Prohibition, and it's also uh, a lot better than what we had in 1955. So think about that for 
you know, as we push this, whatever you push, just make sure that it's for responsibility. So I want to just be, um, I just want to take like an antagonist point of that. And you see that Amazon and people have put in the chat already, Amazon's already doing this in the UK. They're already doing the yep. European Union. Absolutely I mean, you can, they are. You can, you can ship bottles left and right across country lines and it's not a problem. Um, why is it such a problem in the U.S.? Well, we have we have a lot of these um, draconian laws, um, and we also are. I feel like we're much more litigious. You know, I'm at I, I, I do an event, and I have to sign you know 14 waivers uh, regarding insurance, and I have to have a particular insurance uh, just to show up into you know someone's place of business and do do a tasting. It's just a, this country is is not comparative to a lot of other places because we're extremists here we we don't you know it's not like the french or even you know uh, in ireland they've got this special liver that they're able to do their thing but we don't we don't teach in moderation like we should it's just it's an extremist point of view and um you know i in a perfect world we could have this but i just don't think that our country respects alcohol to the point where we could ever really have it. So I'll, uh, I'll take another thing. I'm going to give Blake a plug here too, because this is, I come from the tech world and, and when I look at the tech world, I see it as, as adapt or die. And, and I see what Blake is doing and, and what he's trying to do a seal box and being able to provide an avenue that he can legally ship things to people's doors and be able to bring a broader consumer market uh, to places that they necessarily couldn't get these exact spirits. And so when I think about this and I think about the future of it and I think about the three-tier system, I think about all this, I think like something's got to change. Like the internet revolution's here. You can't, you can't do everything on handshakes and, and uh, you know, paper tablets trying to figure out what your inventory looks like. And, and in my opinion, like that's, that's going to be, it's got to be the next wave. It's got to be, how do you get your consumer? How do you get to your consumers faster and cheaper than anybody else? And and if they don't have to leave their their office, their their home, whatever it is, that's I, honestly I see that as the future. Yeah, and I, and I mean I, I kind of agree with that. You think about some of these small distilleries who they're putting everything they have into the distillery. And then, you know, they get a small break, whether that's in a, a publication, whether that's a good review from a national writer or an award or something. And they get an influx of visitors to their website or social media. And the answer is, well, sorry, you have to come to Florida to be able to get our products, even though this national publication. And that's that's vital sales that. So that hold on now. Hold on. That, that's a very different. That's a very different topic than than shipping what you're talking mm -hmm. about is essentially setting up distribution points uh that's that's completely different than the, than the, well, than the but, distiller but, shipping directly to somebody but a lot of these people's that or a lot of these distilleries they can't go into multiple states because they don't have the case volume to you know if they're producing uh, yeah 10 12 thousand cases a year that's that may not even be enough to cover their state or their small little region of where they are. So then things like shipping and, you know, they're not going to ship 10 cases to California because they had, you know, 60 orders come in that week. Um, so, so that's where it gets tough to try to hit 
all 50 states and kind of predict where, you know, somebody may read your article and want to buy a bottle, you know, you got to meet the customer where they are a little bit. And, and it's tough to say, hey, thanks for the email, but hopefully we'll be in your state um, by 2022 or whatever the growth plan is. And, and a lot of these people, they can't get to that many states because, you know, whether just production capacity doesn't doesn't allow that. Um, and kind of on the 21 and plus thing, I completely agree with you. Like, I don't want my kids to be able to order a handle of vodka online and show up at the doorstep. But the same guy who's checking the ID at the liquor, idea at a liquor store, you know, you also have people looking for adult signature uh, now. So that's where I'm, I'm like, it's already happening. To, to me, it's the same thing. You know, if, if they're looking at adult signature, I mean, I've had plenty of boxes delivered. They look at my ID or just, I look like an old man now. So they're like, yeah, he's definitely, he's got bags under <laughs> his eyes. He's, gotta be, he's got 21, he's 21 plus. So that's where, um, I mean, I, I think anyone in this podcast will say, yeah, we don't want prohibition style laws, but at the end of the day, like where commerce in general is going, everyone wants everything delivered to their doorstep. So today. I, I, I agree with everything that you said. And, and my point is not so much my belief as just as, as what I know the alcohol industry to be in a protective mode and what I know the political and the lobbyist groups to be in a reactive mode. So what you have is you have a very prominent wholesaler lobby who is doing everything they can to block shipping using that because what they have become, they've kind of become a de facto government arm in which they are able to guarantee, or at least to the best of their ability, guarantee that people are at least 21 when they're consuming alcohol. And when you get outside of that arm, they can't provide that guarantee. And the government cannot provide that guarantee. And we're essentially uh, leaving it up to, you know, somebody who is, is delivering a package and, you know, is that person having to take classes? You know, if, if we are, if, if this is something that we want to really do. But does it just like a that, liquor store worker take classes? Like it, they do. Liquor store them. worker they, is they a professional training, yeah. um, especially yeah. bartenders and that kind of stuff. I can't yeah. get my media samples from UPS because I'm not there to sign for them. So I've had to have them sent to the air commerce house. And I'm sure Blake would be happy to tell you how difficult it is. These, these shipping companies are to work with because they do have such high uh, standards. But mm -hmm. the fact is there's a lot going in underneath those standards. And, uh, and that is where the industry um, it's what that's what the industry's scared to death of is that mm -hmm. you know it gets in the wrong hands, and that's um, that's no different than if you leave your you know, who's liable if you leave your you know, the industry's no longer liable if somebody passes out and leaves their bottle on the table and their 15 year old drinks that entire bottle. The industry doesn't care about that, the industry's not liable for that because it is no longer it is not their fault that that bottle was left out. They're concerned about where they are liable, just like the NFL is with concussions, just like uh, motor vehicles are with like, you know, driver's side airbags. They are concerned about liability. And for the alcohol industry, liability is always about government intervention. And I'm just telling you, we are, are they, always. Are they really concerned about that? Are they concerned about protecting the good old system they have right now? No, it's. Are they want to, it's people. There's. 
there, there's a lot of money at stake here with dist- mm-hmm. distributors and liquor stores that have spent, you know, been in the business forever and they're trying to protect. So they're probably preaching that, but do they really care? Let me ask or they you just this. Try to protect their business. Let me ask you this, Ryan. Let's say in the next year we have um, three underage people die of over drinking through something shipping. I'm not saying this has happened or it's going to happen. And a bill is introduced on on the congressional floor to ban out out you know just completely ban alcohol shipping. Do you think they're going to use those three cases? And do you think the media is going to pick up on it? Oh no doubt. No, I, mean, I agree with that. No, I'm not, that, I'm not disagreeing that, with you. I just think them saying live yes, liability is their big concern, but they're more concerned about the money that they're yeah, going to lose out on this. Are they cherry picking mm-hmm. to say, well, look at the you know, but that is kind of how it goes, you know, what's the ulterior motive? And that point kind of came up in the Supreme Court case we've started on as well, where um, I I remember who it was, but he basically said, these sound like you're trying to protect your business interest and not, uh, you know, protectionary laws for the citizens of Tennessee. And, uh, you know, that's a hard thing to say because I think we could always find the extreme and say, yeah, but look at these three examples of, People, you know, kids who got drunk, got in a car accident, whatever it is. Um, and you don't because nobody can disagree with that. I mean, that's a terrible tragedy. Um, but at the end of the day, are we impeding, you know, free commerce because of these few examples? And, and that's, but that's kinda, what but that yeah. is that is life. That is life. Well, yeah, I get what you're saying, Fred. But to like play yeah. devil's advocate here with, with substances <laughs> being sent in the mail. And I do hear you what you're saying. But I mean, it, it all depends on what it all depends on what lobbyists are really putting money behind it, right? Because I'll tell you right now, if you get an at-home pharmacy delivery, right, and some kids tear into it and they die from not even something that's a horrible substance, right? You better believe that's not going to go anywhere because big pharma is not going to let it, and at-home pharmacy delivery is not going to stop, right? So it really goes down to who wants to lobby harder. Is it going to be you know free commerce? Is it going to be you know, different distilleries and different associations saying, hey, we need this to grow the industry as a whole, right? You know, there's that New York Times article with, is Kentucky the next, you know, Napa Valley? And honestly, if you want to draw people from all around the U.S. and all around the world, yeah, you're going to need to be able to ship your goods right back from there. That's what people want. That's what tourism dollars are going to need, right? And that's going to take place at, you know, small and large distilleries throughout. So it's really, I understand the whole dangerous substances and, you know, but it really depends who's going to put the most money behind lobbying to make sure that it's going to either get in front of the press or not get in front of the press. Right. And here's, the thing, here's the thing too. This is what's disappointed me about the entire about the entire process. And I've know I know a lot of people on both sides is that the distribute the distributor lobby is is mostly all out against it. And I've always wondered why haven't they created a solution to help make this work? Because they could really be the leaders in this entire thing. Is saying like, absolutely, let's do shipping. Ship it straight to us, and we'll deliver it. You know, we see it right here in our backyard. You know, you have people uh, delivering alcohol, you know, from their liquor store. Liquor Barn does this. They deliver mm-hmm. they deliver straight to your house. 10, 15 years ago, that was unheard of, you know? I mean, so mm-hmm. we have seen some progress, but you do have a lot of people who are still very much against it. Using those examples that I cited, and they will continue to use those. And until we can get people to work together for a common solution – and you also have to remember that, yes, there's money behind a lot of this, but you also have families who have single 
retail stores who are scared to death of Amazon. I've seen it in my world. I'm, I'm an author. I've worked with a lot of independent bookstores who, if, if I even have uh, Amazon in my email, when I email them to them, they won't do a book signing with me. So people are scared to death of their livelihoods just completely going away because the likes of Amazon or someone like Blake, you know, flips the switch and has, you know, shipping uh, booze to everybody in the world. So you can't, there's a lot of sides to this. It's not a simple solution. I mean, um, I think it's, you can see too why distributors, you know, would be against this too and not want to push forward for the spread because say Amazon says, all right, the laws change, we're going to do this. Hey, we're only shipping out of our centers in like Indiana, Washington, and, you know, pick another state on the East Coast, right? Um, North Carolina, right? So those distributors are like jumping up and down for joy. They're like, man, we are going to get like the mother load of alcohol orders through Amazon. Everyone else is like, oh, crap. Right. So I can see why, why as a whole, right. That, that association wouldn't want to do that because you're not sure it's like playing Russian roulette, right. Are you going to be the lucky lottery winner? Maybe, maybe not. So I could, I could totally see that side of your argument for sure of why they, you know, I I see personally why they wouldn't want to team up and be all for that because again, it's all about money. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about money. It's not about usually is service. That's all. I think you're distributors. Why are they there? (laughs) (laughs) And that's, I mean, I mean, seriously, we've had, we've had, we've had retailers on the store before uh, or on the, on the show before. I mean, even it was David Driscoll, KNL. And he said, it's the most legalized form of mobs that there is, (laughs) is what, what distributors are. It's because of that. It's because of repeal. (laughs) It's because of that law that let all the states do what they wanted to. (laughs) State rights. But, you know, it is it is a balance of of money and morality, too. I mean, you know, you're saying like, I mean, here in Kentucky, so many so many counties have gone wet, you know, since since in the past five years that I never thought would. And it's because they finally realized, you know, this devil alcohol that we've been against because it's, you know, it's a morality issue. Hey, it's money too, you know? So, I mean, there is a balance there and there, and there always has been. So yes, you know, some people will be against the shipping for those, those reasons that you cite Fred, but, but some of it is bottom line. So, you know, it's, it's a more complex issue than, than just one simple thing. And and I'll say, this is kind of my, my last thought on it is that we're not, I think we can all agree here that it's best for us as enthusiasts that we have shipping. I think we can all agree mm-hmm. to that. But the concerns that I have is that we don't have our ducks in a row when it becomes industry-wide and bad things happen. That's my biggest concern. And right now, that not all not all teams are playing together to make it work. And all teams need to play together in order for alcohol shipping to be a success within the United States of America. That's a fair right. point. That's a very fair point. Yeah. And uh, you know, we we've talked about this for almost almost forty five minutes now. I mean, this is this well, is a see hum- y'all later. I mean, but this is I mean, this is a hot topic. Like this is a very mm-hmm. big thing because this honestly, this changes the consumer aspect across the entire United States of America, no matter where you are, this, this actually changes it. So it's, it's good. You know, I, I kind of want to give uh, a few plugs that I saw in the chat. Uh, Jeremy Kendrick, uh, he had actually asked Fred, he said, you know, you, you talked about um, the fear of prohibition actually coming back a few times. Like, is this a real thing? Um, and then somebody else also asked, I believe it was bourbon blind said that, you know, I can sell an AR-15 with 10,000 rounds to my neighbor next door, but I can't sell them a rare bottle of bourbon. 
Mm-hmm. So there's there's definitely a lot of things that are in the laws here that, um, you know, could definitely use some massaging going forward. We'll put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, there's a difference. There's uh, the Second Amendment yeah. uh, that you know that if you tried to restrict that guy from selling the ten thousand rounds in the AR-15, he'd probably shoot half the people trying to stop him. You know, no, so, no, Fred, Fred, Fred. Yes. <laughs> don't, don't, don't go down that road. We'll, we'll never get. To I'm just, I'm just. The, the alcohol's no. not as protected as the as the <laughs> firearm, and I and I think that's I, that's an interesting uh, argument, but it. The, the Second Amendment has been uh, – how many times has it been to the Supreme Court, you know, Brian? A few uh, times? He, he, probably, he, he, he ran out of digits to actually start counting. Right. So, yeah. you know, this is now Fox and Friends. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not the Bourbon Community Roundtable. <laughs> so can you do what you do best and move it along? And let's go ahead to the next one. <laughs> yeah. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. Do we have another topic? I mean, I, I tell you what, like, I think, uh, you know, not to say that some of us have a stake in this, but I mean, it was just, it's a really good argument and a really good topic for most of us just to talk about in general. So, um, but the next thing I do want to talk about is House Bill 200 that's now started coming to Kentucky. <laughs> another bill. Over the next round. Sorry, we're going to do four roses. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we're going we're to keep talking about laws because this is, this is what moves now, the now needle. We're moving on to squawk box. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what moves the needle around here. But 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 really, uh, you know, um, Carla had actually alluded to it a little bit earlier. The one thing that House Bill 200 is allowing us to do is being able to do, um, or should I say, what it's actually set out to do is to allow distilleries to carry distillery only releases that are no longer allowed 
to go into distribution, which is actually the current law is that anything that a distillery has, say Heaven Hill, they have their William Heaven Hill 16 year, um, and at least has to go out to distribution and makes their way out to a few different retail stores. Um, now, the big proponent against this is that the liquor stores are saying that you're competing with me. You're not giving me the same exact products. On the other side, the, the distillers are saying, yeah, we are. We're giving you store picks. We're giving you access to barrels. And I, I kind of want to put up to you all, like, do we see this? Um, is, because I guess this is also another thing, you know, you, I guess you see it in Scotland and Ireland and other different places is that you can go to different distilleries and you can actually like thieve out of a barrel and take your own bottle home, which you can't really do that at any major distillery. So should there or should there not be a a law that says that Kentucky distilleries can have a distillery only release that doesn't actually make its way out to any retail stores? Do you think it actually fights with the actual retail store side? I think the distilleries ought to be able to sell and ship whatever the hell they want to sell and ship. I mean, Crazy idea. I make, well, I make a, a special exception for it and just kill all the exceptions and just let, let them sell what they want to sell. I mean, we've already got special rules for the distilleries to be able to, uh, you know, we've increased the, the pour size. We've increased things that they can sell on site and we're working on shipping from distilleries just let them sell whatever they've got. And they already charge a premium over uh, for the gift shop release that you can find in any store. They already charge a premium. Um, it, let them do that. Let them do whatever they want and let the, let, let the market get what they want. Yeah. I tend to agree with that because I think, again, it's two, I think in, in large part, it's two sets of customers. Um, you know, I think, you know, I'm not going to go, to a distillery to get something I know I can get at a retail store. But if I'm in from out of town, I'm also not going to go driving all around looking for a liquor store probably where I can find it cheaper. I'm going to buy it at the distillery because I'm there and I want somebody to sign it or whatever. You know, I just think it's, it's too, you're not going to comparison shop if you're a tourist, you know, and I think if I do want something special that they have at the distillery, I'll go buy that, you know. Agreed. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and Carl, I'll throw it back to you. So, you know, we've had we've had Guthrie from Toddy's on the show before. Mm -hmm. um, he was he's very much against this sort of thing. <laughs> but say say you are say you are Guthrie and you own Toddy's right there in Bardstown, Kentucky. Uh, you're right between Heaven Hill and Willett and, and Barton, uh, and along all the stops along the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Do you think that you would see less business because of it? Oh, maybe some. I mean, I always tell people about Toddy's, though. Um, you know, um, I send people there all the time. Um, I still think a lot of people from out of town, you know, they're not going to go there anyway. They're not going to know about it. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it would be substantially different. <laughs> Sorry. So I, I, I saw something on the chat here. So I, I read the I read the quote before I actually saw who it was. So Ted Finnick actually came on the show tonight <laughs> from the uh, the new satire site. And he said, I asked Drew Colsby to sign my will at four year rye. And he looked at me like I was the dumbest person alive. So, uh, yeah. I read that before I actually saw who it was. But now uh, thanks, for, thanks for making it on the show tonight. <laughs> uh, but, you know, um, 
uh, Fred or Blake or, or, or Jordan, I kind of want to figure out what do you all think in regards of what would this mean to, if, if this actually expanded out, I mean, like, you know, there's, there's St. Augustine distillery. Like I, I know that there's more distilleries that are popping up around Florida. What would it mean if they couldn't actually carry the products in the retail stores and it tried to become like a, a destination sort of thing. And by the way, this is also something that I, I remembered is that, um, the retailers association said, well, what if Buffalo trace was to say, you could only buy Pappy Van Winkle at Buffalo trace. Well, that's not fair to people in Paducah that have to drive three and a half hours to Buffalo. Well, trace to let's, get a let's, bottle let's, of Pappy Van Winkle. Can't buy Pappy I got to, I got to talk. I got to <laughs> chime in here. So, this, all right. So, all right. Look, a lot of these models are built on their portfolios. All right. So Buffalo, Buffalo trace is not going to shoot their, shoot their pappy bullet mm -hmm. and lose all their equity for everything else. And you got to realize too, this is, this puts the distillers very vulnerable um, because they put out a lot of shelf, a lot of them put out a lot of shelf turds <laughs> and it's going to be really embarrassing when someone doesn't buy their distillers only pick. And then it, then it gets re released back out into the wild. What they're basically doing is the Kentucky bourbon trail had 1.5 uh, million visitors last year. Buffalo trace had more, you know, uh, a quarter of a million visitors last year. So what they're essentially doing is, is they're trying to, to tee off on their uh, visitor centers uh, to sell special bottles. I don't think anyone is really going to um, hurt, retailer relations because they have entire portfolios because yeah. the, the retailers can retaliate and say, well, fuck you. You don't want to give me, you know, Buffalo trace. I'm, you know, if I'm not carrying I'm wheat, leave vodka anymore. Or, yeah. We, yeah. 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 So they, they can't blow that on this. And, and then, you know, you know, who are you looking at really going to, is going to benefit from this. I mean, I think the, the, the best distillery that could pull this off is probably Woodford reserve, which has had a lot of misses, with their limited editions, but they got a very rabid fan base. Um, and I, I don't know. I just, well, I, I think, think if this, you're a distillery, you might keep, you wouldn't want everything to be only at your distillery. That mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense from a business yeah. standpoint. Yeah. You know, you'd want out on the stores too. You mean, maybe you have a few things that are there to draw people, but yeah, I mean, there's, you wouldn't want everything to just be at your distillery. I mean, but, this, uh, yeah, this bill right. to me is a lot like, you know, what? Why do we need we, we're going to add another bathroom to the <laughs> visitor <laughs> center. I just, who cares? <laughs> do we have enough point. laws already? I mean, come I on. Mean, yeah. what, if, what if Total Wine said, okay, you know, now we don't care about anything that comes out of your distillery. Um, we're not going to sell handles of Four Roses yellow label or mustard color label, whatever they're on now, because <laughs> they, they want to do a distillery only or release. Like, it, it to me, I, I'm for the bill because I'm for free commerce and l let the distilleries run a business how they want to run the business. I don't think somebody you know two tiers removed should be able to tell them what they can and can't sell to somebody who walks in. But at the same time, like retailers have plenty of you know power in this too. They're not like helpless. Like oh my goodness, we're we're never going to have Pappy again. Like, no, just yeah. a yeah, lot the big, of big stores are, but the anyway. small family stores are vulnerable with this. Cause but I mean, the that's, they, they are, but I mean, that's like taking a very narrow view too. You're sure. thinking like, all right, I'm only going to go into my local liquor store only to buy. I'm just going to pick like Jack Daniels, only not Jack Daniels, Jim Beam. I'm only going to go buy Jim Beam. Right. And if I can't get Jim Beam, I'm not going to buy any other beer or alcohol there, but like, 
you know, people are going to liquor stores still because you're not going to be like, all right, time to stock up for Saturday's party. Let me go down to Buffalo Trace, shoot over to Maker's Mark. All right, let me backtrack to Woodford. And then, uh, oh, I can stop at like Willet on the way home and see if they have anything for this party. Right? Yeah, that's just not going to yeah. happen. Right. All I can say is Bullet has uh, tattooed bottles of bourbon. And it just, there's just, that's probably what they're going to be doing. They're going to be doing stupid shit with their bottles. It, and that, I say, if people want to buy that after a tour. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, what I, that's what I look at it. I think like it's it's okay because guess what? The luster is going to be gone. Like, y- you know, and we can use this William Heaven Hill as a reference. Everybody goes crazy like when it first gets announced, but guess what? There's so many of them and it's only at the distillery and they just sit there because nobody cares anymore. Right. It, it, it's just going to be that point where that luster is just going to be gone and you're just going to be shopping at your regular store again. And also your regular store doesn't have enough shelf space for everything that's out there now. I mean, you know, it's like, it's not like the old days when there were like eight bourbons. I mean, it's just, there's not enough room for all this stuff as it is. And, you know, kind of to your point about Toddy's doesn't like this kind of thing, but to to me, I don't, I mean, I don't know his business model all that well, but he, he is nationwide known for his store picks. Like that doesn't seem like something that's going to stop. I, stop him from doing what he does yeah but he's actually getting squeezed out of picks because his store's so small like russell's just said hey we you don't sell enough of everything else because you're a small store you don't get any picks this year so he is getting squeezed you're not going to see a twix eight this year you're not going to see there's no twix eight but that 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 is a problem but like that that doesn't deal with the distillery only picks no sure my opinion no sure but but what you know? At what point does he have to offer then? If he can't do well, picks or gotta start tattooing bottles. And I don't say no. You, Brian, you bring up a really good point, and Blake does as well here. What we're talking about here is we're really talking about the death of the small retailer, and that's what all of our concerns are with this. Is that? Uh, and, and by the way, those guys were everything we've talked. They're the about ones tonight, that brought him to the dance. I mean, was yeah. about, you always say, Fred. That's true. That's true. We And we have an affection for them, unlike any other kind of – it's kind of like a small independent bookstore. We care about them. We want to go in there. We want to fill the bottles. We want to talk to the owner. And we're – you know, it, it started long before this bill. It started with Total Wine. It started with a lot of these other conglomerates. It started with Walmart and C, CVS and Walgreens and um, whoever else is carrying them. That's a, that's a chain. It has more buying power. And they've been getting squeezed out. You know, for years, and the fact that we're hearing the likes of Campari squeezing out someone like that—that that is what should piss every single one of us off. Yep. Every single one of us should be pissed off. No one, uh, no one who's brought bourbon to a dance, um, you know, like Lincoln Road, you know, package store, should ever be turned away from a barrel pick. Yeah, and it's it's happening with all of them, and they're just. There's a lot of short-sightedness going on right now, and uh, it's, it's. And we've talked about it. we're going to have an episode about it, but uh, yeah. It, Speaking that's, that's, of, I don't uh, think there should be a law, but you got to look at you know somebody like Toddy's or a smaller store that you know that's what they hang their hat on. You know, is we have special releases and barrel picks, and you know, it just kind of squeezes them out even more. So, and to be fair, God. Guthrie's a good friend of mine, so I'm sticking up for him. <laughs> Stick up so, for but you know, speaking of bringing people to the dance, everybody who's bought Eagle Rare for all these years, will you go spend two thousand dollars on a twenty year old version of Eagle Rare when you know, in what was it, probably twenty 
I think it was 2015 and 2016's Eagle Rare 17 year old was actually 19 years, but it didn't come in a glass bottle with eagles in it. Things are going to get weird. We got two eagles. <laughs> All right. Well, I um, so I, I put it actually in the chat because I, I said, do we want to talk about something that sparks a discussion real quick as our last question, or we talk about new releases? And Blake, Blake had already brought up a new release of Double Eagle Rare, but we're going to leave that one aside because people ask. Oh, oh I tried to transition so well. That's I know. Uh, <laughs> Really good effort. I know, but there's, 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 there's another, wasn't gonna let that happen. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> there's a reason why I run the show, Blake. No, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm on mute now. I can't even. <laughs> Man, when Kenny wants to assert that authority, boy, Ooh, yeah. 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 effort though, great transition. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's not that at all. But honestly, <laughs> what I want to do is I want to be able to bring up a discussion because this is actually just this is it's a fun topic. Um, and this is actually something that somebody had actually messaged me on Facebook and said, you should bring this to the roundtable. And I was like, this is actually a really good topic. So, uh, and this is something that is really kind of quick. Each one of you can kind of think about in your heads here just for a second. Uh-huh. We'll go first because we kind of started it here is that if you were creating your own whiskey label, do you create something new or do you revive an old defunct brand? And we look at this in a few different ways. You know, Ryan and I, we, we created Pursuit Series. We kind of created our own label, try to do something different because we had an, an audience that knew us and so on and so forth. Uh, you take the flip side of that. You take Jim Rutledge. He just came out uh, with the Jim Rutledge Distillery, um, but he took an old label, Cream of Kentucky, and tried to capitalize on it. So if you were to come up with a, an idea of a new whiskey line, what would you do? I know what Fred would say because he always pulls the example of, I got my grandpappy's recipe. You know, <laughs> Uncle Grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm it depends. If, if I had somebody in my lineage that had a background in the, or, you know, a story to yeah. my, that I could tie myself back to, I'd probably revive an old brand, but otherwise I don't give a shit. I'd start my own. Yeah, you know? We didn't really have a choice. <laughs> yeah, we had a choice. I mean, it's... I'll kick it off. I think I'm right there with Ryan, right? I think we, you know, over the years we've made not fun of, well, yeah, I guess we did make fun of so many people who, you know, small distilleries, large distilleries, they provide this quote unquote brand that somehow they come up with this crazy convoluted backstory, right? Really, they just like brought the, bought the IP and now they're just marketing it, right? And it's all about, listen, if you don't have anything in your family and you really don't have a connection, just start something new. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Everything started at some point, Right. So if you want to start something and be the next great bourbon, sure, stick a stake in the ground and say, boom, we started right now, 2019. We're only going to grow from there, right? Don't try and tell me like, oh, I came across this recipe in somebody's closet 50 years ago. I let it sit. I came across it again. Like, boom, here we are. It's like, no, that's not going to cut it. Come on. Like, we're past that. Yeah. But so what, if you're, what if you're nobody? No, I, I, I mean, I think agree. about it. Like, what if you're a nobody? I agree from like uh, our perspective, but at the end of the day, you got to look at what sells. And I think it was, um, maybe it was Reed Mittenbuehler's book, um, Bourbon Empire is talking about like most of the major brands are just named after an old guy. And it's a name, you know, you think of like Jack Daniels, Evan Williams, Happy Van Winkle, you you know, there's all these names attached to it. So 
I'm going with old teetotaler because uh, no, no one in my family really drank. So uh, I think that's it's just going to be a picture of me on the Same front. Same here. Breaking barriers in the Reaver family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, just me giving a thumbs up. And uh, <laughs> side note, uh, a sample was actually sent to my mom's house, which is even funnier <laughs> because uh, I don't know how they got the address. But uh, so with the one that leaked. Yeah, the water leaks now. She's pretty upset with me because her house smells like bourbon now, and yeah. she doesn't drink at all. So <laughs> he's got her friends coming over. They think she's, you know, uh, <laughs> insider, no, insider story and news there. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. But no, that's. Uh, I, I think there's something about having a name on a bottle that, in some historical references, that it, it just sells whether we like it or not. Um, you think about a lot of the major brands and even brands that are getting brought back out, like there's a lot of research being done. So unless you have, you know, the number one podcast in bourbon, um, it, it's hard to just come up and just say, Hey, this is my brand. Um, you know, you should go buy it. So some of that historical background helps. I think you at least have to sound like you've got history. There's some brands that are making up their own name that, you know, they use some kind of old timey sounding name and they've got the old, tiny script and swirls and they've got some backstory that they've made up and and that's sort of what you need because the consumers are looking for that where they're looking for some kind of horse on the label or the closure or something like that you might need that to sell it's not what i would want to do i'm i'm more like jordan i, I would say just you know put put your own name on it take some pride in it and and do it and uh it's it's a tougher road to try to sell it based on what you got in the bottle, um, but that's that's what I'd try. I would get on eBay and buy all the empty Pappy Van Winkle bottles, <laughs> <laughs> move to China, and uh, start selling. Uh, you know, you know, um, um, rectified whiskey. Rectified whiskey in China. That's what I would do. <laughs> I was kidding. I love it. Yeah, you know, I've I've been approached uh, by quite a few people about doing a bourbon, and I've always been like, no, it doesn't really interest me. I'm just I'm just really happy being in like the media space of bourbon. You know, the day that I um, I ever do, you know, put my name on a label or do something like that, I I I don't know. I just it's not it doesn't feel right for me. Like I, I like I like covering the stuff. I like being as objective as I can. Um, and I just, I just love this. I love it so much. And I'm really, I'm, I'm proud of both of you and uh, Ryan and Kenny for what you've done with, uh, with the Pursuit series. Um, I've generally liked what you've sent me to taste. And I'm just, um, I'm really content on uh, writing about the stuff and talking about it for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, you'd basically shoot yourself in the foot if you'd start your own. Because you're like, <laughs> nobody's going <laughs> to... Oh, he's, he's he's the uber guy. I mean, he's he's the guy of bourbon. So I it, think we all know that. Fred I, I, I also, so sorry, Carl. I, I also, there was a there's a quote from Ted Finnick of Bourbon Weekly. He said, uh, "Let's team up for the Minnick and Finnick bourbon." <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know that Fred's bourbon would be called Old Ascot. Um, <laughs> if ever, if I I were ever to do one, it would be Old yes. Ascot. Yeah, well, new my grandpappy's recipe, out. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a new article out tomorrow. About this. Yeah. So this is great. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, what I would do is go back and find one of the women in bourbon history and put her name on a bottle because there are far too many men's names on these bottles. And they're, you know, I, that's what I would do. Um, and I would, I would not claim that woman's story, but I would tell that woman's story, create a new bourbon, put her name on the story and, and tell the story. That's what I would do. So yeah, I know a book where you can find a lot of those women. <laughs> I do. I know too. Yeah. See, that's, the research would be easy. Either that or I'd put Carrie Nation's face on it and call it Old Battle Axe. One of those two. Oh, that'd be good. Boy, you know, she'd be Old turning that brain too if you, uh, if you did that. Yeah. <laughs> Carla, we're going to talk barrel picks after the show. So uh, just... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk secondary stickers. All and, right. Uh, <laughs> Well, I think uh, everybody's had a chance to go and figured out what they would want to do. Is there any other rebuttals of, of why, uh, pro or cons, why you wouldn't go any other way before we, we close it out? No, huh? Any more amendments you want to cover? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. Uh, uh, so anyway, Brian's Venmo account is... <laughs> yeah. But so you know, make sure it's friends and family. Yeah, friends and family. But <laughs> man, I... I I want to say thank you all so much for joining. This was a, a lively discussion. I think, uh, yes, we hit on a lot of laws tonight. I think we hit on another good Very serious. Well, I mean, I think... It was I, the advanced, the, the advanced uh, roundtable. That's yeah. right. Hey, listen, I tell you what, we had... Um, um, I didn't get a chance to really brag on Carla, but she is an amazing editor. She's been covering bourbon since the 1990s. I think she should be in the Bourbon Hall of Fame. Her book, Barrel Strength Bourbon, is amazing. Um she and makes Fred's writing sound good. I, that's that's really my great achievement. <laughs> it's a big, it, you know, so that's why I'm kind of buttering her up a little bit. <laughs> Thank you, Fred. But no, she, you know, I think that this this discussion tonight was uh, uh, was very poignant, and you know, something we're all very passionate about, and we can never lose sight of how much we love this and how you know how much it means to all of us, and. Uh, at the end of the day, that's you know if it goes away, it sucks. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. When there's Andrew said uh, we should do a drinking game that includes taking a shot every time Freddie says Fred says he loves bourbon. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'd be uh, pretty. We'd be uh, drunker and pissed pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, <laughs> would take long. I also give a shout out to Rare Bird up there because we were talking about old labels. He goes, "Yeah, in 200 years, I'm going to create the the old Fireball label when it <laughs> have the opportunity." Mark Brown will come out of the grave and shoot <laughs> shit at you. <laughs> Which is funny because like uh, some of these labels were like Fireball equivalent, you know, 40, 50 years ago. And now we're yeah. like, oh man, they have <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, good. So I'm going to go ahead and just close this out. So anyway, thank you so much for everybody that joined us tonight. I'm going to let everybody go ahead. I'm going to go from left to right that I have on my screen here. So Blake, I'm going to let you go ahead and go first. Cool. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. Uh, Carla, thank you for joining us. This this has been great. Um, I'm Blake from Bourboner, B-O-U-R-B-O-N-R. And I did get a couple notifications during this roundtable that uh, the Bourboner Sealbox uh, new riff pick is is selling. So um, feel free to check that one out as well. I'm going to throw a plug out there. Yeah, Sealbox, S-E-E-L-B-A-C-H-N-S. But no, guys, always a good time. Thanks for having me. Uh, Jordan, go ahead. Yeah, sure. This is uh, Jordan from Breaking Bourbon, one of the three guys who runs the site. At Breaking Bourbon on all social media and Patreon. Check us out for uh, daily release calendars, articles, and reviews. And Brian. All right, this is Brian with Sipping Corn. Uh, thanks again for having me. Uh, pleasure to have you here, Carla. 
Um, there's Bourbon Plus. Uh, there's Bourbon Justice in the background. You can check me out on all social media, Sipping Corn and BourbonJustice.com. Uh, have a great month till uh, the big number three zero comes up for the next one, guys. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Any bills by the 15 minute increment? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Six minute increments. Six minutes. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> what do you think? He's charity? <laughs> listen, as a, listen, you know, if you, if you spin up a, a, a machine at Amazon, you get, you basically get billed by the minute of what you use. So if you could do that in the lawyer world, yeah, oh, that man. sounds great. Like we'll just take yeah. the text, the text side. Apply to the law side. I think it might actually. And all we could back we to tech for Kenny. Together, Kenny. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I I, I see I see people as a barrier sometimes, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's trying to cut me out all the time. Kenny's going to become bored. <laughs> Chopping block. <laughs> Carla, go ahead. Well, thank you. I'm Carla Carlton. Thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. I hope to come back someday. Um, I'm at thebourbonbabe.com. Uh, you can find my book there or at theevilamazon.com or, or your local bookseller. Um, I'm also at Carla Carlton at Twitter and Instagram. And um, subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine. I love that poster. I got <laughs> Thank you. I think it's sweet. Yeah, for anybody that wasn't watching, uh, Carla and Brian, they both put their posters behind them tonight. So it was, it was right. good to have some backgrounds. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, in our side, you know, uh, Fred and Ryan, you know, this was, honestly, it's a great discussion. And I, I loved being able yeah, to, it was great. and I, and Fred, you, you really hit the nail on the head here. I mean, this was, this was a passionate discussion because we, we all have something to say about this because whether, whether it's, you know, you own your own business, Ryan, and you love commerce and free trade. Um, you know, Fred has another side of it where he looks at the um, the community aspect. He looks at families. He looks at what could actually be the the outcome of it. And I'm at the end of me. I'm I'm just like tech. Yeah, you know, that's that's the only way I look at. It. So not code this. Well, I mean, we we, we all have different we have different viewpoints, but sure. they're all they're all different and they're all valid. They're all valid. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact that we do it respectfully, you know, that's what, um, you know, makes me proud of this discussion is we had a really, it could have gotten intense, uh, but it, everybody respected one another. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what's important. And also, it's what's lacking in society in some ways. It needs yeah, more it, bourbon. You have to have these discussions to make progress because if you don't, you know, they just, everybody gets on their side and just kind of doesn't hear anyone and doesn't make any progress because they're just going to believe what they believe and that's it. So yeah, yeah it was good to hear everybody's different viewpoints mm-hmm. and how we can all make this work together mm-hmm. as a friend family, <laughs> our right. bourbon family, our bourbon community roundtable family. <laughs> <laughs> Things are too black and white. They need to be Amber. That's what's exactly. Oh, there you go. Oh, man. Man. For the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't top that. So I trademarked it really quick. So Carly, somebody call the lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> So, Kenny, I just got one last thing. It, it is uh, someone mentioned it on um, on the on the chat, uh, and I would not do this unless it was kind of mentioned. But I, I would like to plug my Amazon Prime show, Bourbon Up. The the latest episode featured uh, the late great uh, Dave Pickerel in my interview with him, and uh, it was a month before he died, and he talked about what his legacy, what he hoped people th- would think is what his legacy would be. And he also told me uh, what people thought of me in my palate. So <laughs> if, uh, if you want to check that out, you know, I, I highly recommend watching it. Yeah, I, I did watch it and I have to give kudos to you as well for sticking to your guns. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to give it away, but you know, when, 
people they they say you're a critic, you are a critic. So it's it's gonna yeah. be interesting for hopefully people that get, put a little teaser out there for them. Let's put it that way. <laughs> now I'm gonna go watch. Yeah, you need to go watch. <laughs> no, I will. Yeah, go to it. <laughs> but thank you again, everybody that joined on. Um, I didn't. I we didn't have the numbers up on our end, so I have no idea what the, the total number is. I'm sure somebody will put it here in the chat soon. But thank you so much for everybody that joined. Thank you everybody that was on the chat that was here tonight. Uh, a lot of great discussions. You know, Ryan, go ahead and close it out because I know you like to let's plug some plug some reviews, plug some social and whatever. Okay. Well, transition. We have. <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, Carla, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on and uh, your you. perspective. Hope thank you come you back soon. And uh, no, just this is like you always say, it's a fan favorite, a crowd favorite. We love doing these. I'm glad that people enjoy these and tune in and keep tuning in. And please hit us up. Let us know what topics you want to discuss, want to hear what you're passionate about, because we are you and we're here for you. So uh, with that, we'll see you next time. And uh, oh, yeah. Paul says we had a roundtable record tonight of 108 people. Wow. It was me. (laughs) Carla did it. My whole family's out there. Fantastic. (laughs) Urban babe in the house. That's right. Sorry, I had to get that in before we cut out. Lawyers watching it. (laughs) (laughs) Told me to close out, Kenny, and I tried. I'm sorry. (laughs) But with that, uh, yes, if you. Please leave reviews for us. Please contact us on social media. Let us know how we're doing or how we're sucking. Just we love hearing from you guys, and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace. Yeah, cheers. All right. Cheers, cheers everyone. everyone.